lot of these children listen to rap but they've never been taught that actually you can kind of put in some sort of positive kind of outlet and even when we get feedback from the children one of the things that they say that constantly comes up is I never knew rap could be positive and that's crazy because obviously rap has that negative kind of stigma attached to it but the children now understand that well when we go to the schools children understand that yeah um, rap can be used in this positive way and then the schools see how impactful it actually is with the children they then say to another school like a partnership school you need rap therapy cool all right man thank you for coming to the podcast special how are you today i'm okay thank you for having me yeah man it's all yeah. good man thank you for making that trek across <laughs> you, are you said in south london I yeah Fort Heath. yeah you're still it's all thank you for making that trek man, across <laughs> from south to east man i appreciate you coming down and looking forward to speaking to you today yeah long overdue man long journey long, yeah <laughs> it was a long journey but it is it was long overdue long journey what life journey or? <laughs> <laughs> or life? that as well but hey <laughs> the journey here yeah. Oof. Yeah, yeah. Especially at this time, obviously there's traffic, but yeah, yeah. We move. I oh, appreciate it, man. Yeah. Appreciate it. Let's um get into things. So kick things off. Usually I like to take things. I, like, I usually like to do things fairly chronologically. So starting with upbringing and then moving into some of the work you do now. Mm. Yourself being a musician um, and the founder of Rap Therapy, I thought we'll start off with a bit of a musical term. So kick things off. Who are some of your earliest musical influences, and how did they shape your world view? and maybe play a part in the person you um you becoming the person you are today um so firstly i'm going to rephrase it yeah i'm not a musician anymore former musician but i guess ultimately that's still embedded within me somewhere but um my influences when i was younger there were loads of influences so i listened to a lot of american rap uh 50 cent was big um dmx was big um, as I got a bit older, people like Rich 32, Kano, Kano when I was younger as well, I was a big Kano fan. Um, but ultimately, I guess music is something that when you're in school, you're in the playground, you're writing bars, you want to go and show off those bars within like that school community. I think that's what kind of got that music buzz going as well, because my bars were different to many other people's bars. Different in what sense? The content. So my content has always been positive. Um, most people are talking about their negative environment in a negative world, but I'm talking about positive changes and things that we could do, even from a really young age, from like 11, 12 years old, like initially started off rapping in church and did like a lot of performances in church. So I'm coming to school with the gospel bars and everyone's like, oh, this is, this is kind of saucy. Like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, eventually that, that transitioned into like conscious rapping and that real kind of this is the ends and this is what we need to change and like more kind of I wouldn't call it activist rap but just conscious rap where it's explaining society without promoting like that certain kind of violent element to it or those negative connotations to what rap already kind of has. Yeah no that's interesting because yeah I mean I suppose a lot of rap is it's no fault of the rapper I'm not chastising anyone but a lot of it there is a lot of that negative content, and I suppose that's just because people are just rapping what they live it is, you know, that's just their lifestyle. And then you get, when you look at the um, American rap, for example, it started off like that, a lot of that, maybe there was a lot of rappers actually, there were some conscious rap, but there wasn't that much, you know, that breath of fresh air type rap until maybe someone like Kanye came. It yeah. was completely different. Didn't mm. rap. He didn't have lived that kind of a life whatsoever and come with something completely fresh, sorry, completely new. 
Um, I had a listen to your EP actually. And oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had, I had a good listen to it, man. Um, and there was a few lines that stood out to me. There was one story you spoke about. I can't remember the name of the track. It was the third or the fourth track. And you spoke about how some guys came to your school when you was about, well, yeah, eight or year nine. Yeah. And they, yeah. Can you, what happened there? What was the story there? Yeah. So I'll break it down. Um, that song's called Flower from the South. And um, ultimately what happened was, do you remember Bebo? Bebo, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so I had an online kind of incident with uh, another young person at the time. He was a bit older than me. And um, I stupidly said to him, well, I'm not scared of you. Like, if you want to come to my school after school, I gave him the address of the school and everything, like a clown. <laughs> and um, yeah, I know, silly. Um, and he actually ended up coming to the school after school. But even before that, like, I knew he was coming to the school because I gave him my number two, like an idiot. <laughs> so he has my number to tell me when he's outside the school. Um, I get into school. I make a phone call when I find out that he is coming to the school. As I'm on the phone I'm talking, teacher comes over, confiscates my phone. And I'm like, all right, cool. This is not good. Now my phone is gone and it's just me. And I have to now face a hundred guys who are going to come to the school, basically. Um, and I remember, I remember sitting in maths on that day and like, you could see the alleyway that you have to walk down, like going home from school. And that's where they would be waiting. Cause that's the one place where you, you kind of can go. Um, and I was just staring at it. And then I got in trouble on that day. I remember specifically I got in trouble. My plan was to kind of steal my phone back from the teacher who took it from me. It was all, it was all pear-shaped. Like it was all crazy. So my plan was to steal the phone back from the teacher. And I was going to do that during lunchtime, but the maths teacher had given me a detention for how I kind of reacted to him in that given moment of him asking me a question, not paying attention to him. Um, but little did he know there was wider kind of things as to why I wasn't paying attention to him. Um, but with that, like the, the news kind of got around the school, especially my year group. It was like, yeah, X, Y, Z is coming to school for me. Um, right, so everyone's now gone into the DT room and taking little hammers or little things that they can kind of use. Um, the end of school comes now and walking like towards the alleyway. And when you look down the alleyway, all you see is like a whole bunch of blue. Because uh, these guys at the time were Crips. And I wasn't gang affiliated, nothing like that. But they were Crips and it was like, oh, well, this is, this is awkward. <laughs> um, but what I found in that moment is that actually all those people that were going to DT and taking this and taking that, they were just doing it just to kind of prove that, yeah, they got my back. But actually during that time, there was only two or three people that actually had my back. Um, it was actually the head teacher at the time of the school who stopped us from going down that alleyway. So we weren't allowed to go down that alleyway and that whole kind of incident got cleared off. But I did later find out that he wasn't coming to fight me. Like it, it could have been a lot worse. And I think that ultimately, when I said in that, I think I said in that song, uh, a couple of men came out to school for my life. <clears throat> like they were coming for my life. So when, like you say, over... when you say he wasn't coming to fight you, you mean? No, he was coming to kill me. And it was like, like over something that we've kind of like battled and gone against each other online about. Like it doesn't make too much sense. But it was afterwards that I found out. And um, the whole incident finally got like kind of diffused. But that that particular incident kind of showed me that actually there's only a few people that really have my back. Um, and those few people, to be fair, I still speak to to this day. Um, 
whereas the other ones have just kind of like gone on with life as you do, isn't it? Cool. Um, Thornton Heath, what was that like for you growing up? <laughs> uh, interesting place. I think that when you think about Thornton Heath, even now, it's, it's very similar to when I was growing up. I think just everything is more amplified by the news and the media. But ultimately, so in order for me to tell you how it was growing up in Thornton Heath, I kind of have to give you a background of, let's say, my upbringing. So my parents always tried to keep me like on the straight and narrow and always kind of would tell me, oh, maybe this is not the right person to hang out with. Mm. Um, and I'd always be like, okay, but then I'd still maybe talk to these people here and there. Now, now the problem with parents and their guidance, the guidance is amazing, but when you're coming home from school every day and you're seeing these same people every single day, you automatically kind of are attracted to them just on a normal kind of day-to-day -day basis as you're going home. But I think overall Fort and Heath growing up, it was bad. Like it's dangerous, it's violent. There's people who are doing bad things and that's what you see on a day-to-day -day basis. So I think it's really easy to get dragged into that. But with me, I tried not to get into that. Like I'd know all the guys, but I just wouldn't get involved in what they were doing. I think that was what kind of separated me to this day even there's people that still haven't grown out of that world that are still doing things they shouldn't be doing. And I just would not get involved. There's no point. And you think that, that was parental influence then basically? 100%. 100%. If, if, if my parents didn't guide me the way they guided me, it could have been a very different story. Yeah. Um, I did have a conversation with my mum not long ago and I said to her, so I originally lived in Clapham and it was it was a flat in Clapham and then obviously opposite the flat you have like a massive estate and we all used to those sometimes 15 16 of us that just always be outside and I said to mom if she didn't move us when she moved us so I moved around 11 years old um it could have been very different because I know a lot of those guys ended up going to jail and it was like ah, oh, like the majority of them have gone to jail so now what what where would I have left me um, but we moved at the right time. Their influence was always like super strong because if I was going to do something bad and don't get me wrong, I've done a lot of naughty things, <laughs> yeah. but if I was going to do something bad, I'd always have that kind of thing in the back of my head. Oh, what if I get caught? Oh, um, mom said, don't do this. Dad said, don't do this. And I think that's like super powerful. Um, just growing up in general with that guidance and actually them un unapologetically letting me know like no you can't do this if you do this there are x y and z consequences and mm. those consequences weren't consequences that you wanted um so it that kind of played a massive role in my kind of upbringing and that kind of understanding of what's right and what's wrong it's interesting because when you're talking it sounds similar to my upbringing to some degree where i grew up in ends as well um I was never, I was never gang affiliated, but you know everyone in the area. You go to school with them, you grow up with them in the yeah. area, you know everyone. And it was a stage as well when I was hanging out when I was really young, like probably eleven, same yeah. probably like yeah. eleven years old, yeah, seven. <laughs> and then always like had riding bikes or playing football. Kid, I'm just, I just want to play football, or ride yeah. bikes or whatever, just have fun. Yeah. And then my mum would do the same thing, like. Oh, she would, she would be the one that when I'm out late with the guys, I should be calling off my phone. Yeah. And then it's embarrassing when I'm out with the guys and I have to take the call and go to the side and do that. <laughs> and do all of that. And then in the end, then she kept telling, you know, steer me away from that. And yeah. 
over some time, a lot of those people that I was hanging out with, similar to you maybe, mm. some have passed away. Um, some of, a lot of them have been in that prison, that kind of thing. And I suppose, you know, whatever circumstances led to that. But mm. my, if it wasn't for that parental sort of um, input and guidance when I was younger, when I maybe couldn't see or didn't know better, things could have gone very, very different. Yeah. And then it makes you think about some of those other kids as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, in your opinion, what do you think was for some of those other, because you, you're all there together yeah. and then you've gone one way and a lot of other people have gone the other way. Do you think the parental thing is the, the main differentiating factor? I think it's a big factor. Like, I know people who had their parents trying to guide them as well, but they just wouldn't listen. And I think, I think the parental guidance is a big factor. Like if we're out at 10 o'clock at night, rightfully so, your mum should be calling you. Where are you? Get yourself in the house. Mm. Um, Especially if it's dark, it's late. Whereas I do know that there were a lot of people that I would hang out with that wouldn't get that phone call. And for them as well, like I, I know like I have a specific friend who he's on like a great path right now. But when he was younger, it was literally him in the house. Mum and dad were working. And he would just be there all the time by himself. So he'd be able to go out late by himself. They'd come home super late, like early in the morning because they've been working two, three jobs sometimes. So it's like that kind of, and and sometimes parents don't understand actually that the way they kind of interact with their children is so important. Like he was on a very bad path in the beginning because of that, but they didn't mean any harm from it. They're trying to provide. They've both got two, three jobs, trying to work these jobs to make sure that actually there's food on the table. You can do this, you can do that. You want to go football? All right, here's 10 pounds to go football. Um, So just kind of, I think the parental guidance is like really important. And I think that's also what's kind of missing in society today because you see a lot of these children and they're doing mad stuff right now. And on the flip side, the government have taken away a lot of power from parents. Um, and it's like, what's the answer? In my opinion, it's that there's not one answer, but giving that power back to the parents to, I guess, ultimately deal with their children and in a necessary means um, to kind of make sure they're going down the right path is, it's essential and then throughout all of this i suppose the music was very important to you as well you've been you were doing music sounds like for a while um how important was the music to you um at that period of time when you were younger and how did that start even yeah so um i'll give you how it started but i think to just to answer the first question is is i think it was so important like it was very important because in my older age like at this age now I didn't realize how much of an outlet music actually was at that younger age. So I'd write things that were really deep and really personal. And sometimes I'd never show anyone, but then I didn't realize at the time that actually that was helping me and my own mental health. Um, With the music and how it started, it actually started with in church. So going to church, um, there was two, three of us initially, who were in like a little group called Liberty Eagles. And we used to write raps together and do little performances in in the church. And then my old brother also was in that group as well. Um, And then it turned to like four or five of us and then back to three and then back to two and like, but we were making music and we were able to perform at our church. And just from doing that, we 
we got kind of a buzz off of that. So we did things like going to perform at Notting Hill Carnival as well. Um, we did like little kind of competitions. Um, there was a, a, a youth camp that we went to called Crossfire and we'd like win the competition for like our rap. And then we were like, okay, actually we're, we're quite good at this. Um, but then at some point the church said, actually, no, you, you guys can't rap anymore. <laughs> You're not allowed to rap because uh, the, the music ultimately isn't, isn't for the church. And, and I think that was like really detrimental to be honest. Um, it, it was because then the group kind of went their own ways. And then it was me and my brother who was making music and we were making music, but we kind of transitioned that into like that positive kind of element of music. And when we were writing, we'd write, we'd go and record, like we'd go to different places to record. We did a couple of competitions. Um, like that process there was really important, especially at the age that I was. So at that, by that time, I think I was around 17, 16. And I knew that that's when you're like in college. And I know that in college, there was a few crazy times and crazy things that happened, but actually sometimes I'd be, I'd meant, to, I was meant to be in college and I'd be in the studio making music. So I was bunking college to go and make music. If I was in economics, I remember I'd missed like a whole bunch of classes, but when I was in there, I was writing lyrics. So it's like the music was so important as an outlet, especially of a crazy world that we're kind of, or the crazy world, in my opinion, that I was living in, in that in that kind of time. Um, from that, I had, um, I kind of had writer's block. So I was like, it, it was a mix of a few things. So first thing it was, I was like, after that period, I was like, all right, well, I want to write, but then what's the point in writing? There's not a market for this music. Like it's positive music. No one really wants to listen to that. Everyone wants to listen to all these fake gangbangers that are talking about their life that they actually haven't done a lot of this stuff um and i just said to myself you know i'm not not making music no more so stop making music also had that writer's block so i couldn't really get anything on the page anyway um and then 2016 i think it was picked the music back up um and that's where 2017 i released that ep invisible guidelines um and the reason i picked that music back up is because there was a whole bunch of people that asked me in the space of one month, when are you going to drop some music? You still make music. And I kind of took the last person's one, when are you dropping something as, oh, maybe I should start making, maybe this is a sign. Maybe I should start making music again. People are, are kind of, they want this positive music. Um, so then I released that EP. But I think ultimately when I was making music, it was really good for me but there are elements as to why I stopped making music and there's reasons why I stopped making music, which I think are also important. And why do you call the EP Invisible Guidelines? So if you, if you like analyze the cover as well, so I'll, I'll talk about the name, but the cover and the name kind of match. It's got an image of me in the front of it with a blindfold on. And then around that, you've got like all of these kind of people with like a gun, like you got like someone that's smoking and invisible guidelines ultimately is when you grow up in a certain area, this isn't just, this isn't just for Thornton Heath. This is every hood in, in South London, East London, North West, wherever. Um, 
There's a set of guidelines that you're told you must follow in order to get out of a certain area. So the olders might say to you, all right, move this for me, move that for me. This is going to get you a lot of money. You're going to be able to move. Actually, when I look back at it, I'm a bit like, it's a bit ironic because you're the guys that are telling me that this is what's going to help like us get out of this situation, but you're still in the same area. So what guidelines are we given? So the guidelines that we're given when we're younger are guidelines that are kind of like guidelines that won't actually help you progress, not even just out of an area, out of like a certain kind of circumstance or situation where you look at things like um, smaller situations, someone disrespects you. The guidelines in the ends is, all right, they disrespect you, bang them in their face, or they disrespect you, kill them. And I think that actually those are the wrong guidelines. So, so we're, we're following this kind of path where we're not supposed to follow and we think these are the right set of rules when they're not the right set of rules. Um, whereas that parental guidance that we spoke about, uh, those are probably the right or the more kind of the better set of rules that we need to be following in order to kind of progress. And I think that that was what was missing. Like the, if you listen to the EP, obviously if you listen to the EP, if you listen to the EP, not on shuffle, <laughs> um, what you'll find is that the, the whole kind of EP follows a journey from the first song all the way through to the sixth song. Um, if you, you look at the, the the kind of order of it, first song's like the, the intro, what yeah. you hear on a day-to-day -day basis, the dog barking, the sirens, the helicopter. Um, you hear me saying, I'm just trying to get out. And then like, literally trying to get out of this area second song is um trying to like it's talking about that kind of progression and that actually um there's a lot to this world and you can kind of move out of a certain environment if you work hard that third song is a is a kind of a this is what has happened to me um flower from the south and then you got the fourth song uh kerry hilson on a house on the hill just like kerry and it's it's me talking about actually well if I work hard, I can, I can get that house on the hill. Fifth song is again, it's the strip. Like you, if you can, if you close your eyes and listen to that song and you actually know Thornton Heath, you could see every single thing that I'm talking about. Like if you walk through the area, like I talk about it in a chronological kind of order where you, uh, like the actual walk through Thornton Heath. And then the final song is that there's more to this life. And that's, that's, moving forward like there is more to this life we can't just stay in this one kind of place and think that this is this is amazing it's not that the world's a big bad place and the world's a, it's also a big great place so like you can kind of go out to the world and and realize there's more to the world than than this little little area so it follows a journey and i, I think that that project itself obviously that was released 2017 so that's a while ago and that project itself was an important project for obviously the development of other things that that layer came yeah yeah no for sure that that project when i look into it, it seems to be the the catalyst into you becoming the person you are today basically yeah and it's interesting we spoke about taking it back a bit the invisible guidelines and orders in the end saying do this do that blah, 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 and then you can move out or to be successful do whatever you want and sort of like the blind leading the blind to some degree because that we're both here and you're telling me I can do X, Y, Z, but you know what I'm saying? And maybe it's coming from a good place or whatever, but literally it's like the blind leading the blind. Mm. And you talk about 
the ends protocols like if someone disrespects you bang them in the face or do this or do that it's like that that male pride that male bravado coming yeah. into things and it's like you you can't be seen to to take disrespect man i remember and it's happened so many times in my own life i remember when i was in college i remember and there was one guy um he's, he's a good guy as well and i didn't i didn't know how involved he was at the time but i knew yeah. he was involved <laughs> And we was having a bit of back and forth in class. And I can't remember what it was over. It was something stupid. Mm. Bit of back and forth. And the more we're doing it, <laughs> inside of me, I'm telling myself, <laughs> Tevin, keep quiet. <laughs> Don't be doing this, man. Because <laughs> like, this guy's going to take it all the way. Yeah. But in front of the whole class, I thought, nah. <laughs> I can't run. Yeah. I can't, I can't back down. Yeah. So I'm doing the back and forth. We're both doing the back and forth. And in the end, he just like threatened me, said it was going to kill me. In the end, yeah. And then I'm thinking, gosh, it should never have got this far. In the end, he came and apologised, hats off to him. And he was like, like he took it too far. No need for that. And he apologised and it was cool. Yeah. Like, that could have gone so left. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Facts. Something my wife says to me, yeah. <laughs> she said, she's been saying to me for a while, like, I'm telling you, so alert. Like, whenever we're going through places, I, I'm always like, yeah. looking at that. I'm always aware, like, oh, that person's there, this, that, and I know what's happening. Yeah. And then I've just always thought, this is how I am. And it's only literally in the past few days it's dawned on me that is it because of where I've, where I've come from? Yeah. Where you, you know, when it's late, you're walking around, you, you always feel like you have to be, you know what's up. You need to know who's behind you, what's left and what's right, because anything could pop off at any minute. Yeah. That, <laughs> growing up in those areas. There's like, like, um, like, I think that I'm the same. So I, I kind of like, I'll be cautious and conscious of everything that's going on around me. Like I'll spot things from a like mile away, like just far away, that actually the normal person who hasn't grown up in that environment hasn't spotted as well. But I actually think that's not a bad thing. Like I think that that's also quite a good thing and a, quite a good life skill to to be aware of your surroundings. It may not have come in the right way, but to be aware of your surroundings is so important. Like to just to kind of like even small things. So small things like. Um, like when you're younger, I feel like there's like a bunch of hood rules that you kind of should abide by. Those things come from things like, and this is why I say that I can kind of spot the children who are about it and who aren't about it now. Like if your genes are like really low, who are you going to run away from? That's the first thing you're going to trip over. Yeah. Uh, if, you're, if your shoelaces are undone, who are you going to run away from? No one. If you've got two headphones in your ears, who can you hear like in the surroundings like yeah one headphone cool you can hear the left side if you've got two headphones in you've blocked out noise right so like there's small things that like i'm able to spot as well and able to kind of identify oh, you're not you're not that guy you know but also i think again there's positives and there's like a whole bunch of negatives but there are some small positives that i think like the hood kind of does show you as well like small things like survival skills but then you then think about things like, well, survival, survival of what? Because now in my adult life, if you do me wrong and like you come punch me in my face, for example, I'm just going to call the police. I can't lie. Like I'm, I'm a law abiding citizen. So it's like, yeah. so it's like we can like, it, there's certain things that you have to, that's what I talk about the progression, like moving out of a certain kind of mind state as well. You have to move out of that mind state because now it's a bit like there's too much to lose to be, thinking about survival skills like i don't even want to live in an area where you have to try and survive like you want to live in an area where you, you can just kind of thrive and not worry about who's going to run up behind you and, and hit you in the head with a hammer or hit you in the head with something and it's like those kind of things even things like 
bicycles. Like I want to live in an area where you can ride your bicycle and leave your bicycle outside the shop and no one ain't going to steal it by the time you stepped in. Mm -hmm. So it's like that these things are things that do teach you good kind of skills. But again, it's like, who's trying to survive? Like you want to be in environments where you don't have to look left, look right. Like, but it's embedded. It's yeah. embedded within you. Yeah. 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 Let's talk about therapy. Can you talk about when, what the inception of, where the inception of that idea come from? And um, yeah, and then the, the makings of it in the first place, like where you said, where did that idea come from and how you've gone about actually starting mm. it up? So it started off with that EP, um, Invisible Guidelines, and it got a lot of media attention. So the Metro, the Guardian, <clears throat> the advertiser, they wrote these stories about rap therapy. And I thought that like the stories were really good. Like the music, people would listen to the music, which was nice. The stories were really good. But then what I was finding is that in the music industry, sometimes people are getting a lot of fame, but they're not getting a lot of money as well. So then it was like, well, where's that balance? Like, how do you get the money and the fame? Or how do you just get the money <laughs> and not the fame? But ultimately, I think like how it actually started was that, that like kind of um, publicity came out about rap therapy, about um, Invisible Guidelines. And I sat in a coffee shop with my brother and I said to him, look, this stuff is really good. Like the newspapers, oh yeah, fantastic stuff. But number one, I'm not making any impact within like the world. It's just making music. And number two, I'm not really making any money off of music. So what, what am I gonna do here? And he said to me, well, you've always wanted to start a business. And I said to him, yeah, yeah, I have wanted to start a business. And then he said to me, well, why don't you um, write down five ideas that you think you'd be really good at, like with a business? So I said to him, well, I'm not too sure what I'm good at. And then he said to me, well, you've just been in like few, a few newspapers. Like, what do you think you're good at? And I was like, oh, music. So I wrote down like five ideas. He, he, gave, he gave me a pen and paper and he said to me, finish it before I finish my sandwich. And his sandwich was tiny. And yeah, it's like one of them Costa sandwiches. And he's like eating it like real quick. And I'm like throwing down these ideas. And um, I had all the generic ideas. So um, first idea was build a studio, which I, I'll talk about that in a second because that's actually quite important as well. Um, but then you got things like manage artists. And then the one that really stood out to me was helping young people express themselves through rap and ultimately how rap therapy came about is rap therapy started off as like a little trial so i went to school in croydon and lots of people know this school as the, the breeding ground for gangs and it's like a really bad school um it's improved now but back then it wasn't that great um and worked with a bunch of students and when we worked with those students the school pretty much turned around and said to us what have you what have you done with these students we've been trying to work with them for x y z amount of time they were all on the brink of like complete permanent exclusion but you've been able to help them get back on track in school and i was like all right cool we've got something here and then that school had told another school and from there it literally just grew like wildfire and then we had to or i had to kind of get people on board as well that could go into schools and deliver workshops but it was a tricky kind of period because that growth period is a really tricky period because you you then are responsible for making sure that people actually get paid as well <laughs> um but but ultimately i think that 
the way it grew was organic and i think organic growth is brilliant and it's a great way to grow a business sometimes people always think about like i want to go like really fast and do xyz 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 and i'm I, i'm kind of the opposite like i do want to progress but i don't want to progress too fast because if you progress too fast sometimes everything will just fall apart everything that you've worked for as well so um but to date, we've worked with, I think it's around seven, between 7,200 and 7,500 young people. And that's literally for, in the space of five years, just teaching them how to express themselves through this, this outlet rap. And initially when we started up rap therapy, it's really funny because um, everyone, like loads of people said, no, we don't want this. Rap? No, we don't want rap in our school um therapy no 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 it's not good mm. not for the children so it was like it i'd put two words that have these negative connotations to them together rap therapy and a lot of schools did see it as a negative but then there was that one lady who said yeah come into our school i think i think this would be good for some of these children um even had people that told us maybe you should think about changing the name <laughs> I was like, well, the name's the name. The name's going to say the same. Just because you've told me to change the name because you work in a school, I'm not going to change the name. But it was multiple people that said change the name. But now, if you look at rap therapy, rap therapy's what I would call a household name. So it's, now people know rap therapy, even in East London. Um, all across like London, like it's a name that kind of rings out. And then you said that you talk about how did the studio, did you end up starting the studio? Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> um, Again, like I said, organic growth. Five years later, me and one of my friends, um, we've said, right, let's put some money together and we're going to actually build a studio. So we're building a studio in Croydon. And <clears throat> this studio is not only specific to young people. Young people will definitely come and use it. We always kind of had them going to different studios anyway. But we've now got this one studio called The Container. <clears throat> and um, we got young people that go there, older people that can go there as well. But that also was something that, again, with the organic growth, like if I had done the studio first, nothing would have worked. But because rap therapy came first, the studio can now come where we've got kids who are constantly saying, when can I come to the studio? When can I go to the studio? And I'm like, all right, well, I need to find out from X, Y, and Z when they're free so that you can go to that studio. And it got to a point where there was a lot of kids who wanted to use the studios, but it was like the timings weren't matching. So I said to my friend, let's just start a studio. And then I think now it's in a position where if young people want to use it, they now have that safe space where they can actually record as well. So, yeah. When you tell me a story about when you're reaching out to your schools and you get a lot of pushback, and what was coming to my head was that there's so many stories I could think of, and I can't think of, I can't think of any that don't go like this, but with people who are successful in whatever they end up doing. And every single time, with what I can think of anyways, they always face pushback at first. And sometimes pushback is quite scathing. Like they come like mad comments. Like there's this one guy I follow on Insta, he's a multimillionaire um, worth worth quite a bit of money and um, entrepreneur. Mm. And he put up some picture the other day about some investor turning down saying, go back to school, this ain't gonna work. Oops, and the guy, if he invested, he would have <laughs> <laughs> been sorted. Yeah. But and then that was just one rejection they got. Loads of rejections. I've read all these autobiographies. I've like loads of people. Mm. And then you get all of these like scathing bits of like, don't do this. This ain't gonna work. That ain't gonna work. And then I suppose if you really believe in what you're doing, you've just got to kind of 
push past yeah. all of that and then keep going until you get that one person that says yes until you get that second person that says yes and over there hopefully that cascades into something bigger and i suppose that's what you're doing rap therapy you've got you've got all those no's yeah people say you change the name nah it's all right we only know rap in my school <laughs> and then over time the one person's like yeah cool you know? that's it and and i think like so I'm, I'm also writing a book right now and it's um it's called stories from the seven and that's like stories of when i was younger and in the beginning it it says um to the hoods i love you but i hate you and it's things like this because that pushback that we got initially, I, if I wasn't grown up or if I didn't grow up in a resilient place, I think I would have just said, ah, oh, this is not gonna work. And just said, let it go. But because I'm so used to having to fight through or fight for something and get through something, I think that's where I was like, no, I'm, I'm not gonna just stop because you've said change the name. Like we're gonna have to keep pushing through until we get one person. If we get one person, it means we can get two people. If we get two people, we can get three, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that again, it comes down to those things that the the area that you're raised in, again, there's those negatives, but then the positives are things that you don't actually realize until you kind of get a bit older. And like the process of rap therapy for me, over these last five years, five or six years, like the growth in myself as a human being has been crazy. And the reason why I say that is when we started, even small things like sending out emails to people, I'm sending emails and my emails are so unprofessional. <laughs> like, yeah, we got this. Do you want us to come into school? Yes or no? Obviously, they're going to say no. <laughs> um, but I, I, I had to like get my brother to read over some emails like before I sent them out. And um, he was like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't send this one out. Maybe we should, maybe we should tweak this a little bit. And um, eventually I kind of got to grips with how to like communicate with a different world as well. Um, I always was good at like chopping and changing whoever I was speaking to and, and how I speak to them. But in... It's a whole different world when you're you're dealing with people who ultimately are going to pay you for a service, and I think that that growth within how I deal with people, like if they say no in the beginning, initially I'd be a bit like, oh, this is annoying, but now it's like, alright, cool, you've said no. How do we get past this no? How do we turn this no into a yes? And then also, if they still say no after that, it's like, alright, that's fine. Now let's move on to the next person because I think what I was doing before in the very, very beginning stages is I would like dwell on those bad kind of, on, on those no's, especially when it's like, no, change the name. It's like, like the email is so blunt, like, no, change the name. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> um, but I think that resilience came and, and that, that's also taught me to be patient with things as well as I've kind of got a bit older. How do the workshops work and how have they evolved from that first one you've done until nowadays? Yeah, so the, it's taken a while to develop each of the workshops. So now there's there's different kind of elements of workshops, but I'll run you through the main workshop, which we run with the, with the, the children. We'd have like, let's say, a group of eight to 10 children in one space. And obviously we do other packages where we will have like, let's say a whole year group or whole class. But for this particular one, because it's the most popular one, it's the, the one that makes sense to talk about. Eight to 10 children in, in one space. And, sorry, no problem. Eight to 10 children in one space. 
and um we would develop it based on what the school say they want so they might say to us can you can you write can you get the children to write songs about um how they should love each other and I would say to the school, well, why why do you want us to write this song? And the school would say something like, well, all of these children, they're, they're really, like, aggressive, really angry. They really, like, hate other people, blah, blah, blah. And I say to them, do they, um, do we have anyone in the room that has disagreements with anyone else? And they would say yes. And I'd say, perfect. Let's get them all in the room. So all eight of them, let's say, are in the room. And... Ultimately, what the children are working towards is a digital recording. So they're forced, they're put in a position where they're forced to work with other people. And that's through playing games. So we might play a game called Rhyme Time, where they have to write as many words as they can with the words that rhyme on the board. And um, they have to work with their team in order to be successful in this. And there's multiple games that we play. And these are all kind of team building games which are transferable from that workshop into the classroom and then into the real world. Um, so, and I, I'm going to keep going on what this is about, but I'll give you an example of something that kind of can be transferred into the real world. There's a, a child who a teacher said to us, can you talk to him because he keeps talking in my lesson. It's taken ages to plan these lessons and this child is just messing it up. So I said, yeah, that's fine. That's easy stuff. Child's written all his lyrics down. He's gone to the front to perform. I said to the, I said to him, before you go to the front to perform, can you just go out of the room for a second? He goes out of the room for a second. I tell everyone in the room, whilst he performs, I want you all to talk. Like, just talk. And then he comes back into the room to perform. And he starts performing and everyone starts talking. And I turn my back. And he's a bit confused, like, why is everyone doing this to me? I said to him, no, no, it's fine. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Do it again. So he does it again. And we all talk again. And then I asked him at the end, and it wasn't public embarrassment at all, because it was what, what I was trying to get through to him is that actually it's not nice when you've prepared something and you want to kind of put it out there and everyone else is not paying attention. From that moment, he understood like the practicalities of why he has to sit in that classroom and just pay attention um but ultimately what they work towards is a recording so they'll write a song we'll bring the equipment in uh, over four sessions and they get to record a song together with a chorus um, with a meaningful message something that they kind of are able to expand on where they might not have been in that in that space to expand on one of the other things we do within those four sessions is there's um there's a task that we do and adults find this really difficult children find it really difficult but i think it's such an important task we give them an instrumental and this instrumental is like super upbeat and we'd say to them we taught them through rhyme schemes taught them through similes um and then we say to them now i want you to write a rap about an emotion but you cannot mention that emotion so what that forces them to do is think about what that emotion feels like and actually describe that emotion and how that feels. Um, and I'd give them an example of being alone or being angry and thinking about things like the color of red. What does that feel like? What does it feel like when you're angry? And, and the reason why it's difficult, because when you naturally think about anger, you want to use the word anger, but you can't use the word anger. But that's that's like a real good turning point for the children as well, because 
they are then in a position where they now understand and they're able to kind of like say, oh, this is how I'm feeling. This is not annoyed. This is anger because I, I, I know what annoyed feels like because I've spoken about what it feels like to be annoyed in my rap. I've also spoken about what it feels like to be angry in my rap. And I'm able to now differentiate annoyed from anger. So I think like small tasks like that, but the recording is good because the children actually get to take away the song. They get certificates. They win like rap therapy merchandise as well. Um, and, and for them, it's a real sense of achievement. There's something that we believe once you start it, there's no, there's no, I can't make it this week. Like make it this week. you got to finish it. So we get you through to the end, which is really important. I like that. I like that a lot, man. The way it sounds. That second example you spoke about with the, um, write a rap about a particular emotion, but don't say the words. So rap about anger, but don't say anger. I like that a lot because what that tells me is it helps you to understand more how you feel, why you feel certain things, as opposed to just giving it a label. You delve a bit deeper, past the label. I think there's a lot of power in understanding yourself with myself. So before we start recording, and I told you that the saying 1,000 voices isn't something I just had an idea of starting the next day. It's far from it. Yeah. I had the idea time. First time I ever met my wife hmm. was in 2017. I was telling her, yeah, you know, it'll be good if I've started this podcast thing. <laughs> Back in the day, and I started in 2022, five years. Hmm. And for me, I just kept putting it off and because i wanted it to be perfect and over time as i've done some soul searching and then i think i was reading a particular book and then it talking about perfectionism and stuff and then it just blew everything and it blew everything wide over for me and really told me where this was coming from it stemming from a fear of failure basically and when i realized that i thought nah <laughs> and I, th I swear i read the book in november i think the first episode came out in february so three months after i just said Whatever, whatever's whatever. If it's not perfect, I'm gonna put this thing out. Mm -hmm. But it all came from me understanding it, even without me having to like delve deep and having to do any deep kind of work. I just understood what was happening inside of me, and yeah. from there, it empowered me to move on and start creating. Yeah, and I like that's why I like what you're talking about with these kids because you like you understand, and when you understand yourself, it's empowering. And yeah. from there, you can overcome hopefully, and then move forward. And yeah, and I, I think also something you mentioned like I don't think anyone should chase perfection like I think it's very difficult to chase perfection because if you're a person who chases perfection then when you get to that perfect state you're going to find something else about that where it's not perfect and it's really messy um even like if we think about like I, I was very similar when I said all right I'm going to start making music again um, I spoke to my brother again. Like my brother is like someone who's real quite um, important within like this whole kind of, in, in my life, but obviously within this whole story as well, because um, when I started making that music again, I had a bunch of songs and I was like, oh, I'm thinking about sending this one out. I sent it to him and said, oh, oh, I'm thinking about sending this one out. Oh, but I don't know which one's better, which one's, which one's great. And said, oh, I'm thinking about doing this one. And he said to me, he was just like to me, bruv, he said something along the lines of stop messaging me, just put something out. Like, you, you, it's music. And I think that's important that if you don't do it, if you don't start it, it will just kind of keep, like, kind of lingering in the air and nothing progresses. And I think, like, from that initial music, none of this would have been possible. None of rap therapy would have been possible or it would have been a longer kind of journey to get to if I didn't kind of just make that decision to just put it out.
Yeah, yeah, perfectionism is it's not possible. It really yeah. to be perfect. I, I don't think there's, I literally don't think it's possible. Yeah. The greatest footballer, in my opinion, ever, and Lionel Messi's not perfect. He's I don't got know. Right foot. Your team Ronaldo or something? No, I'm not even Ronaldo. What, what, <laughs> who do you think? The greatest footballer, uh, in my opinion, ever was Ronaldinho. Maybe for a couple seasons. Nah, Ronaldinho. He was entertaining. Entertaining. I, loved I love entertainment. I, I love Ronaldinho. I loved him. Yeah. <laughs> Messi, <laughs> he's another level, man. That guy is too good. But even him, whether it's Ronaldinho, whether it's Messi, they're not perfect. Yeah. Ronaldinho ain't the perfect centre back. Um, he can't save whatever. He ain't perfect. You know, yeah. there's still areas of the game which he can improve. There's still areas of Messi's game which he can improve. So I don't think perfectionism is literally possible. Mm. But you can just put out what you can and improve over time. And that's what I've tried to do. You put out yeah. what you can. Get some feedback and improve over time. Like you put out your EP, mm-hmm. and then that's snowballed into that therapy and that's what it. you're doing now. It didn't have to be perfect at the start. Yeah, you mentioned that you'd impacted between seven point two seven and a half thousand young people, mm-hmm. um, and I read on your website it was over seventy two institutions or seventy two plus institutions. Yeah, uh, why do you think that rat therapy has been as successful as as it has been over the period over the past five six years? I think it's that relatability factor. So when we go to schools, the people who deliver workshops, including myself, are very relatable. They're able to talk to the children about real life situations and give children that safe space to actually open up about situations. And overall, I think um, it's what we do. So rap always has that kind of cool vibe to it. And children, when they hear rap therapy, they're like, ah, rap, nice. But there's also that anxiety of, I don't know what's gonna happen. Like everyone listens to rap. Like a lot of these children listen to rap, but they've never been taught that actually you can kind of put in some sort of positive kind of outlet. And even when we get feedback from the children, one of the things that they say that constantly comes up is I never knew rap could be positive. And that's crazy because obviously rap has that negative kind of stigma attached to it. But the children now understand that, well, when we go to the schools, children understand that, yeah, um, rap can be used in this positive way. And then the schools see how impactful it actually is with the children. They then say to another school, like a partnership school, you need rap therapy. And then they then say to another school, you need rap therapy. So it just kind of like, it's that kind of effect where it's like, we've gone there, we now have to go here, we now have to go there. And I think it's it's more for the children. They, they actually see how great it is with the children because there's external companies that will go into schools and the children won't want to be a part of it. Or they'll be like, oh. So we had an example in that first school that I spoke about. There was a child who... um would not turn up to school on a particular day. So we said, all right, fine. We're going to put rap therapy on that particular day. He was in school constantly. He had no excuse not to be in school on that day, mm-hmm. but he was finding excuses. But when there, there was rap therapy, he'd make sure that he was there. So I think that that type of stuff is important. Also telling the children, actually, we're not raising you as a rapper. That's not what we're doing. We're, we're teaching you a skill which you can use from here all the way till you're like 100 years old. And I think that's that's important. What's been the most difficult part of your journey? Growth, growth, the growth stage of rap therapy. 
because when you grow and 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 it's demanding and you also have staff members who you want to send to these places i think there's a lot of responsibility on the owner's back to kind of make sure that things do happen um i think that growth stage is quite tricky but we're getting out of that growth stage which is great and and things are now kind of in that kind of steady boom but i think i don't i think the journey as a whole is meant to i don't think it's meant to be easy i think the journey's meant to be somewhat tricky because if it's not tricky and it's all easy then what are you learning in the process like you need to be in a space where you're uncomfortable in order to grow every kind of situation that we've been in even that initial stage of starting rap therapy it was an uncomfortable stage because it was something new we got out of that stage i've now grown from that the next stage is that growth getting out of that stage and growing from it so i think that whatever it is it doesn't even matter if it's difficult or if it's like tricky as long as we get through it we learn something and we grow you spoke about when you first started <clears throat> sorry <clears throat> When you first started reaching out to your school, you was very informal, you know, the way you was talking to them. Like, we got this, you want it, yes or no. And over time, you, you've learned to refine how you approach these um, professional organisations. For people listening, there's probably going to be people who are either running social enterprises or, or very interested in running their own social enterprises. How can they best approach some of these other professional organisations to pitch whatever services that they're wanting to pitch to them? I think it's having a, a, a kind of strategy and also having like one of the most key things is even though initially you're starting out by yourself having people around you that you can trust to to look over things before you send it out like um having those things and then having that turn that into a template um but just like when you approach schools and institutes i think it's that initial grind stage that grind stage will eventually subside and it will no longer be a grind stage. You would get into a position where you're comfortable to kind of just keep doing other things. I think people are scared of the grind. And they're scared of that hard work. And actually you have to put the hard work in, in order to progress and then just be able to thrive. So I think it's just, don't be scared about that hard work. That's, that's really important. And also have those people around you who are going to help you through that process and give you that advice and listen to the advice as well. Like, don't be hard headed and say, oh, well, this is how I want to do it. I'm going to do it like this. No, listen to the advice from people who have actually been in the situation as well. So, yeah. What's the biggest change that you want to see in the education system? Oh, oh, so I have to change my hat here. <laughs> so obviously you've done your research. So I'm assuming you know that I'm also by trade an English teacher. Yeah. Um, the biggest change in the education industry, I can only kind of talk from a perspective of English. I think that the texts that are taught in school, I do see there's value in these texts, but I think that they're not diverse enough. I think that when you're teaching young children from black heritage, Asian heritage, wherever, they need to see themselves in this, these books as well. Um, I think that's so important, like representation is so important and to be able to kind of embrace a subject and start to love a subject, you have to somewhat see yourself in it in order to move on to some, some of those trickier texts where you may not necessarily see yourself in it. Um, and I, I think that education as a whole, I could sit here and talk about education 
all day. I think that, that there just needs to be a lot more people that represent what society actually is inside classrooms and inside schools. And with rep therapy, so you work with a lot of these different schools. You mentioned that you, I think you work particularly with schools that, like the first thing you worked with was a problem, designated problem school. You work with particularly with a lot of problem schools and whatnot, and probably come across a lot of children or young people that have personal issues that they're dealing with. And through the work you do, hopefully help them to understand themselves a bit better and then help hopefully to move forward a bit, bit more. What message do you have like, for the young people that have personal issues, maybe their anger issues or issues at home or esteem issues or whatever multitude of issues that they may have? Mm. What sort of a message would you have for a young person like that? I got two messages. First message is turn it into a rap. Um, you'll feel better afterwards. That's the first message. Second message is don't be afraid to speak to someone about things because when I was in school, I and I'm sure when you was in school as well, um, you'd go through something and you feel like you're the only person in the whole world who has gone through this one particular thing, when actually there's a million people who have already gone through it. So actually talking to people that you trust about certain situations is super important for your own mental health, but also for that kind of learning process and that growth process. Because you're never going to, you're never going to kind of speak to someone who hasn't got something to say in response to what you are going through. Like people always have advice. And I think it's finding the right person for that advice. Um, alternatively as well, like for those young people who don't know like how to deal with situations, feel free to just message me on Instagram. Like, we always get we always get children who would ask like for advice. Oh, how do I deal with this situation? I've had a falling out with my friend. What do I do? I don't want it to turn into a fight. And then we'd give them that advice as to right, maybe you can deal with it this way. And then they'll message us back saying, "Oh, thank you so much. This really worked." Like it's just talking to those people that you trust. That's amazing. What's next for right therapy? So I'm I'm a big believer of organic growth. Um, I don't think things should be rapid. So I think right now it's focusing on the container studio, um, making sure that that's in a nice space for young people to actually record in. Um, alongside that, obviously I've got my book that's kind of in progress and it's just kind of being finalized and I'm gonna put that out there as well. That's very heavily linked to rap therapy as well. Um, I think, like just just to touch on that book, if if you don't mind. Yeah, go. On. So it it's called Stories from the Seven, and it's five stories about when I was younger and the situations that I got into when I was younger. And each story at the end of the story has a message for the young reader. As an English teacher, I trialed this in in a school where I was teaching a few years ago, and this was with like a group of young people who do not enjoy reading, do not enjoy anything school related they just want to do PE and go home <laughs> <laughs> and um they didn't know it was me that wrote the book i didn't tell them because i didn't want to bias opinion but i gave them one of the stories and i i explained like we went through the story and i said to them at the end um if there was a book out there like this who would read it and everyone put their hand up and i was like okay now i have to finish the book right in my head, I said, I still didn't tell them it was me, but I said to myself, now I have to finish the book because 
I've now found that market of those children who actually find something that they love to read. So now why am I not going to finish it and put it out there? Um, but I think those stories are also important. Reading books is important for young people. Books that you like, that you can enjoy, that you can kind of like say, nice. Like I understand I can learn something from this. And why that book is linked to rap therapy is because, again, like we've spoken about, all of that stuff that I've gone through when I was younger, it, it leads up to where I am today. And that's important. So just putting that out there as something that's linked to rap therapy, children are then going to be able to read it and say, oh, you went through this. Okay, this is how I deal with this now. Have you got a release date for it? Oh, no, I haven't. <laughs> but I'm hoping early next year it'll be out. Um, it's just in, in the process of going through some illustrations with inside the book. So it's going to have like, it's kind of comic elements to the stories as well, but early next year, I'm hoping it'll be out. Cool, man. we'll keep an eye out for that for sure. Yeah. And as we prepare to wrap up, for anyone else who's wanting to drive some change in their lives and their communities or whatnot, have you got any advice for people like that? Yeah, uh, do it. <laughs> do it. Like, as in, don't be afraid to do it. Like, if you don't, if you just, like, you have an idea put into action people are going to shut your idea down like they're always going to shut your idea down just just do it be resilient try go forward even if the idea sounds stupid like do it like if you if you don't like they say that the most ideas are found in the graveyard like because people have ideas but they just don't implement those ideas and push those out so i think be be bold and just just go for it like what? What's the worst that can happen? That's it, man. Thank you. Yeah, thank that. you. Thank you for coming down, and appreciate it. Thank you for having me once again, and um, for sharing all those gems and everything, man. I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, as we wrap up, if anyone wants to keep up to date with yourself with rat therapy, how can they best do so? Um, the easiest way would be Instagram. So Instagram is so my personal one is prof p r o p h underscore one hundred. And then we've got the Rap Therapy page, which is uh, R-A-P underscore T-H-E-R-A-P-Y underscore 100. Cool. That's that. And then have you got any final words before we close off as well? Uh, no. Thank you for having me. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I guess that's my final words. Like, this, is, <laughs> this is literally a brilliant podcast. Um, I'm quite picky and choosy with what I kind of get involved with. So, yeah, this is I love what you're doing. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thank you very much, man. Thank well, you. That's that for now. Thank you for coming to the podcast once again. This is 1,000 Voices. We had Bishma on the podcast. And for now, people, we're out.